Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Saturday, September 2nd. Shabbat Shalom. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land. Not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph, there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is twenty minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Bread Hadashah. Today we finish up the Torah portion, Ki Tavo, and it means, When You Go In. Deuteronomy 29, 1-9 These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites while they were in the land of Moab, in addition to the covenant he had made with them at Mount Sinai. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, You have seen with your own eyes everything the Lord did in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to his whole country. All the great tests of strength, the miraculous signs, and the amazing wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you minds that understand, nor eyes that see, nor ears that hear. For forty years I led you through the wilderness, yet your clothes and sandals did not wear out. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other alcoholic drink, but he gave you food so that you would know that he is the Lord your God. When we came here, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan came out to fight against us, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it to the tribes of Reuben and Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh as their grant of land. Therefore, obey the terms of this covenant so that you will prosper in everything you do. Ecclesiastes 1, 1 to 3.22 These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets and then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. 
no matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes a per- people will say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations. No one will remember what we are doing now. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under the sun. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, Look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness, for who can do this better than I, the king? I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in the dark. Yet, I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. 
So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is also meaningless, for the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So I came to hate life, because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successes will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless! So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? The days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from Him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please Him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please Him. This, too, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to turn away, a time to search, and a time to quit searching, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on all of us, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. And I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing 
can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before, and what will happen in the future has happened before. Before, Because God makes the same things happen over and over again. I also notice that under the sun, there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. I said to myself, in due season God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people that they are like animals, for people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die so people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless! Both go to the same place. They came from dust, and they return to dust. For who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That is our lot in life and no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. Second Corinthians 6, 1-13 As God's partners, we, Paul and his co-workers, beg you, the Corinthians, not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, At just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us, and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack, and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us impostors. We are ignored, even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part. But you have withheld your love from us. I am asking you to respond 
as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Psalm 46, 1-11 God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos, and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders, and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Proverbs 22:15. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. I want to speak to you from Deuteronomy chapter 29, and then I'm going to connect it to a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to talk today about two different mountains. And which mountain are you standing at? Mount Sinai, where Moses is, or Mount Zion, where Yeshua is? Let's begin with Mount Sinai. And in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 1 and 2, it is written, These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites while they were in the land of Moab, in addition to the covenant he had made with them at Mount Sinai. We'll stop there, and now I want to jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm going to zoom in on verse 6. And this is a representation, a little taste, of what it's like to be standing at Mount Zion, where Yeshua is. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6, Paul states the following. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. So now I'm going to share um, a teaching with you. It's called, What Mountain Are You Standing On? Mount Zion or Mount Sinai. And then you can process this by going through some discussion questions. Enjoy the teaching.
standing on? Mount Sinai or Mount Zion? I've been in Hebrew Roots Movement for many years, and I have many good friends who I dearly love in this community. However, I have been seeing some things in the Hebrew Roots world that gives me some deep concern. There are some issues that we need to look at and have an honest conversation about. I want to proceed lovingly and with humility. I share this teaching with fear and trembling in my heart. We have all been on a faith journey. I fear that some of us may have lost our way, and we need a course correction. I want to proceed with caution and with kindness. I do not want to lead anyone astray. It is my desire to point us to truth, and truth is a person. That person is Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Let's begin in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 and 19, where a picture is painted for us about two different mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Hebrews 12, verse 18, where it is written, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure what was commanded, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Hebrews 12, 20 and 21. Paul is telling us that we have not come to Mount Sinai, but to a different mountain, to Mount Zion. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Yeshua, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Hebrews 12, 22-24 Now let's learn more about this mediator, Yeshua, or Jesus. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, where it is written, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men the man, Christ Jesus, Yeshua. Continuing on in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7, 
For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Now, I am not saying that Yeshua nailed the Torah to the cross. He nailed our sins to the cross. Yeshua came to fulfill the Torah. I am not saying that the church has replaced Israel. Replacement theology. Replacement theology has evil roots and has given us evil fruit. I am not saying that we don't have to pay attention to the Old Testament, the Tanakh, or the Hebrew Scriptures. We are to follow all of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. I am saying that the Scriptures teach us that we are in a new covenant, and that the mediator of that new covenant is Yeshua. We were unable to keep the law, the Torah, in and of ourselves. The problem wasn't with the Torah. The problem was with our hearts. We have hearts of stone, and because of that, our spiritual ancestors broke the marriage covenant, the Torah, at Mount Sinai, with the golden calf incident. And we ourselves have also broken it. The Torah is our tutor or teacher who leads us to Christ. The Torah shows us our sin. It reveals our sin. Reading the Bible is like looking in a mirror. It shows us the dirt on our face, but the mirror does not clean us up. Soap is what cleans us up. Yeshua is the soap. He is the mediator of the new covenant. Trying to keep the Torah in our own flesh and by our own efforts does not make us righteous and does not take away our sin. Only by putting our faith in Yeshua and trusting Him to save us, that is what makes us righteous and redeemed. Now let's look at Hebrews chapter 8, verses 12 and 13, where it is written, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Continuing on in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, in that he says, A new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish. Well, what about this new covenant? There is a passage in Jeremiah chapter 31 that I want us to look at that talks about this new covenant. Let's look at Jeremiah 31. 31 to 33, where it is written, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, my Torah, in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In another place, in Ezekiel chapter 36, 
verses 26 and 27, it is written, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. What God is saying here is that when we get a new heart, the Torah, the scriptures, are no longer externally located on stone tablets or on pages in a book. Now, by giving us a new heart, the Holy Spirit writes the Torah, the Word of God, upon our heart. It is on the inside. It's internal, not external. This is really the crux of the matter. We need to pause, stop, and do an internal heart check. Do I have a new heart? Has the Holy Spirit come to reside within me? Am I truly in the faith and born again? Because if not, trying to keep the Torah apart from the Holy Spirit is a dangerous place to go. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20, it is written, Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh. Why? So that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, it is written, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Let me give you a word picture. We are all on this faith journey together. We want to draw near and get closer and closer to our Father in heaven. We want to please him and hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. So, at the beginning of the journey, we all start in Egypt in the world, and we are all sinners. We apply the blood of Yeshua, Jesus, to our hearts. That is our personal born-again experience. This is our personal Passover, and then we leave Egypt. We come to Mount Zion, where Yeshua is at the top of that mountain, and we cling to him. We sit at his feet, and we learn from him, and we love him with all of our hearts. What a mountaintop experience. But then, After being in the Sunday church world for a while, we learn about the Feast of the Lord and all the richness of seeing Yeshua in the spring and the fall feasts. We start keeping the Sabbath. We embrace the Torah. We fall in love with the Torah. We study the Torah. And slowly, slowly, we begin departing from Mount Zion, where Yeshua is. And we go to this other mountain, Mount Sinai, where Moses is. Let's continue. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. That's Galatians chapter 4, verse 23. This passage is going to make a connection between Hagar and Sarah, the bondwoman and the free woman to these two mountains that we've been talking about, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Do you remember how Ishmael came about? 
Abraham and Sarah grew tired of waiting upon the Lord for the promise of a son, so they took matters in their own hands, acting in the flesh, and Abraham laid with Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, who then gave birth to Ishmael. Years later, after Sarah was long past childbearing, the Lord caused her to conceive a miracle baby, Isaac. One child was a child of the flesh. The other was a miracle child, brought about by faith in the promise of God. Let's continue in Galatians chapter 4, verse 24, where it is written, But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Hagar represents works, trying to keep the law, the Torah, in your own efforts, your own works. This leads to bondage. Continuing on in Galatians chapter 4, verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Sarah and her son Isaac represents putting our full and complete faith and trust in Yeshua, Jesus. When we put all of our trust in Yeshua alone, this leads to freedom. Continuing on in Galatians chapter 4, verse 28, it is written, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Galatians 4. 29. Have you ever experienced that? People with a religious spirit tend to persecute people who are born again and Holy Spirit filled. Continuing on in Galatians chapter 4 verse 30. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. What does it mean to cast out the bondwoman for you and I personally? How do we apply this to our lives? We are to crucify our flesh. We are to pick up our cross, an instrument of death, and die daily to our self, our ego, our pride, our own desires, our vain ambitions, and follow Yeshua. Jesus. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We are not to be driven by our flesh, but we are to be gently led by the Holy Spirit in all that we say and do. Continuing on in Galatians chapter 4 verse 31, it is written, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. 
So we have been looking at two covenants and two sons. Which covenant are you following? So Ishmael represents bondage that comes from attempting to be self-sufficient, justifying yourself through your own efforts, desiring to retain control of your life, enslaved to pride that destroys your inheritance. I've got this. Isaac represents freedom that comes from accepting the supernatural work of God, resting in God's promises, desiring God's will in your life, and owning being adopted as an heir. Abba, save me. It's not Yeshua Jesus plus, and then you fill in the blank, equals righteousness with God. Yeshua plus works, Yeshua plus keeping the feasts, Yeshua plus keeping the Sabbath, Yeshua plus keeping the law or the Torah, Yeshua plus eating kosher, Yeshua plus, and then you fill in the blank. That's not what gives us righteousness with God. What is the takeaway? Yeshua, Jesus, plus nothing is everything we need. Yeshua, Jesus, is all-sufficient. He is enough. In all things, Yeshua, Jesus, has the preeminence, and he is first in all things. He is all-sufficient, as it is written in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And he, Yeshua, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. So now let's compare Mount Sinai side by side with Mount Zion. At Mount Sinai we have bondage, and it's based on flesh, works, and your own efforts. The children of the flesh persecute the children of promise, and Moses is at the top of this mountain. At Mount Zion, we have freedom. It is based on faith in Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ. We have children of promise who are the spiritual descendants of Isaac, and Yeshua is at the top of this mountain. So, here is the gentle and loving warning that I want to share with you. Most of us started out in mainstream Christianity in Sunday church. Many of us were born again and invited Yeshua into our hearts. At that point, we were at Mount Zion. But especially for those of us who have been in Hebrew roots for a long time, here is the question to consider. Have you slowly, ever so slowly, drifted away from Mount Zion with Yeshua as your head? Are you now at Mount Sinai with Moses as your head? Only you can answer this question. As you ponder this question, here is a list of signs that a person or a congregation may have drifted away from Mount Zion and is now camped at Mount Sinai. You never hear the name of Yeshua in teaching or conversation. It's always Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. You rarely or never read the New Testament or Brit Hadashah. You focus only on the Torah portion reading. 
which, in my opinion, is an incomplete and unbalanced diet. There is a lack of love in the fellowship, a coldness. There is a spiritual arrogance or pride. We are better than, and then you fill in the blank. There is a judgmental, critical, or religious spirit. And there is a focus on works, 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 and more works. Have you drifted away from Mount Zion? Have you reversed course and gone back to Mount Sinai? Which mountain are you camped at? Who is your head? Moses? Or Yeshua? As you ponder and reflect on this question, which mountain are you camped at? If you realize that you are at Mount Sinai and you want to return to Mount Zion, where Yeshua is, he is ready and waiting for you there, and he will welcome you and embrace you with open arms. How do you get back to Mount Zion, where Yeshua is? A simple but heartfelt prayer of repentance will get you there. Let's pray together now. Abba, we come to you in the name of Yeshua, Jesus. We repent of the spiritual pride that has crept into our hearts and into our fellowships. We ask you to forgive us for the spiritual superiority that has crept in. Abba, please forgive us, for we have been unkind and unloving to our Christian brethren and our Jewish brethren. Abba, today we humble ourselves before you. Yeshua, please forgive us that we have drifted away from you, the head. We have drifted away from Mount Zion, and we've drifted to Mount Sinai under Moses. Yeshua, today we run back to you. Please, Yeshua, receive us into your loving arms and help us to stay connected to you, the spiritual head of the body. Please fill us up once again with your Holy Spirit. Please cause spiritual blinders to fall away. And Holy Spirit, please reveal your truth to us now. We ask this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen and Amen. May we all stay connected to Yeshua, Jesus, who is the head of the body, the head of the church, and who loves each of us with an everlasting love. Think about it. Which mountain are you standing on? Personalize this and take time to truly reflect on this question. Yeshua is the head, and he is all that we need. Stay in touch. You can find me at dailyaudiotorah.com or bridgeconnectorministries.com. I welcome your comments below. Thank you for listening, and may Yeshua richly bless you.